It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to our look back at the second day's play from Old Trafford, the third test in what will soon become known as the Richards Botham Trophy. Simon Mann, you are a rubbish weather forecaster. You said there probably wouldn't be any play today, and uh, you got a virtually virtually a whole day. Although, having said that, it wasn't a whole day in terms of overs. That yours. Uh, the forecast for Monday's not good, though. I mean, that, that's what they're saying. I mean, there's weather around, and it's there was weather be around. Glorious sunshine then. Now, <laughs> well, let's hope so. There was weather around this morning. It was rainy when I pulled the curtains back this morning, but then it cleared up, and we got far more play than I think many people envisaged a couple of days ago. We didn't get a full day's play, though. We only had 73.2 overs, despite having six hours of cricket. The over rate was slow, and if England are a bit short of victory on the final day, then they might look back at how slowly they bowled their overs today. You can understand their plan. Four pace bowlers, relentless against this West Indies batting lineup, and it you know it worked. I mean, England got the chance, and whether they'll enforce it, I don't know. They got the chance of having the follow-on available to them, although Holder played pretty well towards the close of play, and Blackwood got a few runs as well, and a few extras here and there that took West Indies closer to that 170 they need. But it feels a little bit as if we're playing the second Test match all over again. Yes, and actually, isn't it funny? We we mentioned uh, this in one of our earlier podcasts about a strange reversal of roles. 1976 Old Trafford, of course, was a great scene of... The, the West Indies' potent pace attack, giving the English batsman a torrid time, famously Brian Close getting wrapped on the body and trying to get out of the way of various horrible balls from Michael Holding and others, and uh, uh, England just unable to play the, the pace bowling, the fantastic fast bowling the West Indies. Now it's the other way round. England fielding a four-pronged pace attack, and the West Indies, who uh, certainly down the order, can't cope with the short-pitch bowling. But the day really does belong to Stuart Broad, right? 
Yeah, a, a great day for Stuart Broad. Perverse, isn't it? You know, he started the series you know, out of the side and being frustrated that he wasn't included for that first test match. And today was his day with the bat and the ball. You know, he was England's all-rounder today. He came in, in a way, he had licence when he, when he came in. England had lost quick wickets. If he'd been dismissed, OK, they would have been dismissed quite cheaply. But, you know, he sort of had a free go at it because if he'd failed, well, everyone else had failed. But he did not fail. And it showed again, you know, he's, got, he's got a very good eye. And the field was up. And also the, the two main pace bowlers, Roach and Gabriel were beginning to flag because they bowled you know, most of that first hour. So Jason Holder had to change the bowling. And he tore into Jason Holder. He'd hit Roach for a, a six over deep mid-wicket to get going. He tore into Jason Holder. And then the West Indies captain just couldn't control it. And towards the end of the broad innings, he was actually out to a low full toss. It was a, a rather tame dismissal. He suddenly started to think, he could get 100 here. You know, the way he was playing, he didn't look in any trouble at all. But, you know, one poor stroke really to a, a sweeping a, a low full toss caught on the boundary or caught in the deep anyway ended his innings but he'd done enough damage I think that was the point he'd done tremendous amount of damage to the West Indies cause 3-6-9 solid first innings effort from England and then with the ball he got rid of the adhesive uh, Brathwaite and then he had Chase LBW and it was the old firm again Anderson and Broad we wonder whether they'd play together for England again they were selected for this test match and between them today 21 overs Four for 34. There was a real stranglehold on this West Indies batting lineup. Tremendous uh, batting performance by, by Stuart Broad. It's his highest innings for England, I looked it up, since 2013 against Australia at Trent Bridge. So seven years of, of scores mostly in single figures. And it's such a shame, actually, to see the decline in his batting. It happened, actually, a little bit before he was hit in the face by Varun Aaron. But certainly in the last five years or so, his output with the bat has been negligible. And he's tried all sorts of different ways, hasn't he, of uh, trying to find or rediscover his batting ability, shuffling across his stumps and... Obviously, the the sort of fear of being hit is always at the forefront of his mind. And so it, it does play tricks with your footwork and uh, it just makes you look at extremely apprehensive. He's never really come to terms with the fact that uh, he has got this ability, but haven't been able to work out a way of uh, demonstrating it. And interestingly, he said after the game today that by watching how Shane Warne made the most of his batting ability, particularly in the 2005 Ashes. And this came from Peter Moores, his coach at uh, Nottingham, who said, look at how Warren stayed leg side and allowed his bat to access the ball and made some valuable runs, hit the ball in unusual places, especially through the offside. And that's what Broad did today. So I think from now on, we're going to see, instead of the attempt to sometimes get across his stumps and outside off stump and then get bowled behind his legs, he's going to sort of give himself a bit more room. And actually, that makes a lot more sense. And if you actually give yourself room outside leg stump, you've got the scope to hit the ball both sides. If the bowling is straight, you can hit it offside. And if the bowling's at you, you can still hit it leg side. So... Uh, it's it's good 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 strategy and invaluable runs, which no doubt gave him the confidence with the ball as well. Yeah, and and the other point about Stuart Broad's batting as well is that you know he had some luck I and mean, there, there was some streakiness. There was one huge sort of wind up and an inside edge past his stumps. As I was saying just now, in a way, it didn't matter if he 
been dismissed because everyone else had, had got out that morning. And, you know, he's not the expectation is not necessarily on his batting, but because he has got a good eye, because he is prepared to be unorthodox, if it comes off, which he does every now and again, I know you know his, his scores have been quite skinny in the last few years, but every now and again it does come off, and it's mighty frustrating for a, a captain because it, it sort of feels as though you can't control the, the flow of runs. You know, Michael Vaughan was making the point on radio that, that you know, West Indies lost their discipline a bit and they weren't trying to hit the top of off stump. You know, very few balls bowled to Stuart Broad would have hit the stumps, and that you know is, it's a very good point. Uh, Broad perhaps you know he un- unsettled the, the West Indies and they could when it starts. I think when you know those first sort of fifteen twenty runs, you sort of, immediately start to feel the game slipping away from you, and you, you know you put men back and the ball disappears again. You know there's slices. There was one slice to the slip cord, and I mentioned that one that was sliced past the stumps so you, you know you have that luck and it, when it's your day of course this is what happens and it, it's actually it was actually the third fastest 50 by an England batsman which is a remarkable statistic or joint third fastest only Ian Botham two innings by Ian Botham have been quicker to 50 for England so you know real day out with yeah. a bat for yeah, Stuart no, Broad totally and it's funny but from time immemorial bowlers lose the thread when a, a batsman like this plays that way, it suddenly makes you forget your basic disciplines. And I, I suppose you, if you look at it, uh, in one-day cricket, often towards the end of an innings, especially at the death, the length ball is the worst ball you can bowl because the length ball is the one that goes the furthest. And what happens when a tail-ender sort of swings the bat like Broad did, the length balls do either go off the middle somewhere a uh, long way into the distance or they slice off the edge and fly over the slips or whatever. And so instead of bowlers thinking, look, that, this can't go on, you start thinking, well, i better do something different. Um, i better bowl Yorkers and then they become full tosses or i better try bouncers and they uppercut over the keeper's head. And you just lose the plot and you forget about putting slips in and, and bowling to the basic plan, which has got you to the stage that, that, the, that you've arrived at. So anyway, let's hear from Stuart Broad reflecting on his batting today in particular and after being hit by Varun Aaron in 2014, the impact that had had on him and whether today's innings sort of exercised a few demons. I wouldn't say it's exercised anything. Yeah, of course it affected, you know, someone like Craig Kieswetter, who was a much better batsman than me, ended up pretty much retiring from it, really. Um, I, I think I had, I had a really good chat with Michael Lum, um, who... I actually hit in the face in Abu Dhabi. I don't know if you remember before the T20 World Cup in 2010, we played a England Lions versus England game and I hit him through the grill and split his cheek open. And he said that really affected him for about 18 months. So to hear that coming from a bloke who's got 100 times more talent with the bat than me, that it affected someone like him and his job was just batting, was quite refreshing because, you know, you start questioning yourself a lot that, it affects you, but actually it's a pretty brutal thing and not many people go through something like that when the ball goes straight through the visor. Um, much different to just getting plonked on the head um, with the normal helmet on, but through the visor. But yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no doubting that it's had a psychological effect. And, you know, I, I, never, said, I never really say I enjoyed batting, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it certainly made it very unenjoyable for a period of time. Um, but I did some good work with Peter Moore as well on, on tactical stuff. And um, it, it was great to be able to put that into practice today, you know, staying more leg side of it, uh, keeping my eyes um, 
in my head more level and still so I don't get sort of across my stumps and lose the ball halfway down. So, yeah, Morsey, you know, has to take a lot of credit for a lot of my career because he's someone that's always been on the phone and I've always worked with on bowling uh, and batting. And, you know, his lead percentage idea for me has taken me to another level as a bowler. And uh, this this idea with um, going a bit Warren-like has, has suited me. So... Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, it, I think it's going to affect any. It's great to hear from. Let me say, it's going to affect anybody. Um, but but uh, I would have probably done things slightly differently in 2014 if I had my time again. So Stuart Broad was able to get amongst West Indies today. Strangely, I mean, they did a lot of things right, especially in that morning session, that first hour. They bowled really well with the new ball. It looked threatening. You know, they they knocked England over, took four quick wickets, and then when they came out with the bat, there was no sort of nothing frivolous about them. You know, they were absolutely determined, as they've been throughout the series. But it was just that relentlessness, that ruthlessness of this England attack. The first time that these four have ever played together in a Test match, Anderson, Broad, Archer and Wokes. And they've all got very good records in England. And it was overcast and the lights were on and there was just enough in the pitch and perhaps just not quite enough confidence in the West Indies batting lineup. And it was a real grind for them. And England have put them right on the on the back foot and that that quartet that, that we were talking about earlier that in, England have got now that worked for them in 2005 and the way you know West Indies are able to put the pressure on England way back in the in the 80s with their four quick bowlers it it, it does work it's it's not always attractive cricket and you know we talked about the the over rate already that it was very slow today only 73.2 overs despite the fact we had a full 6 hours cricket but there's a sort of remorselessness about it and I sensed I saw sort of sense that England would be able to do that and I, I I personally think that only rain can save West Indies in this test match now I think you know England have got a, a grip on them and if, if West Indies do come out with a with a draw and it might, might be rain assisted you know fair play to them because they're going to have to battle really hard from here I mean you think about the scenarios if there's a, a reasonable day tomorrow which the, the forecast suggests there will be West Indies might say the follow-on, they might just get past that, that 170. And, but unless they have a heroic batting effort, England will have a sizable lead. They can build on it in the rest of the third day. So even if Monday's knocked out due to rain, and there's a chance of that happening, we can get to the last day, and the forecast for that is good, with a very similar scenario to the one we had in the second Test match. Basically, England with around about 90 overs to bowl West Indies out. So that's what it'll come down to again against this relentless and rested by then four-man pace attack with perhaps a bit of help from Dominic Bess as well so light might come into it who knows that I think that's what West Indies are going to need they're going to need a bit more weather than just on Monday really (laughs) you know a bit more Mm. help from the weather unless they can produce unless they can suddenly rouse themselves to produce something special uh, with the battle or indeed with the ball but it looks like they're going to have a big first innings deficit yeah and I think the worm has turned in terms of how the batsmen and bowlers are coping with each other because the England bowlers have realised that the West Indies batsmen are very reluctant to come forward uh, and they're playing back to a lot of good length balls which you can get away with in the Caribbean or somewhere like Australia because the bounce is a little truer and the seam movement isn't there. But in England, it's fatal to play back to good length deliveries. So the England bowlers have realised to pitch it up a little bit more and risk being driven for the odd boundary. 
but they will get that movement and the potential for LBWs is always there because the West Indies batsmen, the, the Brathwaites, uh, Shea Hope and others are tending to hang onto the back foot a little longer than they probably should in these conditions. So really, it's all playing nicely into England's hands because if England can polish off those four wickets in the morning fairly quickly, it means the bowlers won't have had to do all that much work and they can make them follow on. Uh, It's always the case that you decide on the follow-on partly to look at the weather forecast in the future, but also to see how much work your bowling attack has done in that day's play. So the key thing for England will be to try and finish off those West Indies wickets in the first hour's play, and then they'll all be fresh to have another go. Yeah, England have bowled just over 47 overs so far, just with the four pace bowlers but they got the night's rest so four quick wickets in the morning yeah I mean there's the possibility of it West Indies need 33 more runs but as in the last test match I think England can win this game both ways Shane Darich Mm. dropped down to number eight uh, this evening I mean there was one horrible moment for him and it's it's one that he he will not like to see the replay of uh, over and over again He's, he's had a difficult a uh, couple of test matches really he's not kept particularly well dropped a lot of ball behind the stumps and was on a you know made a pair in the, in the last game short ball from archer and he played a horrible sort of flinching stroke with you know feet off the ground not looking at the ball pushing the bat out and it ballooned over rory burns in the gully and england was sort of sensing they could you know bomb him even chris wokes in the in the final full over before they took them off a of bad like even chris wokes was you know banging it in and causing him discomfort with the short balls, he looks like a player short of confidence. So in in a way, it was a relief for him to come off a bad light tonight because he was just about to face the the might of Archer. But a, you know, a real test of West Indies tomorrow. Holders played well. Darich looks to be struggling, short of confidence. And England, you know, made, made the point in the field. They definitely got in his ear. The fact that he dropped down to number eight. You know, what's a wicketkeeper doing coming in at, at number eight? It's almost no point having you in the side if you know, as a wicketkeeper, you're going to bat at number eight. And then there's the, the unknown, Raheem Cornwall. Uh, who can bat in at nine in this test match, Kemar Roach and Shannon Gabriel. And, and, and they have to try to resist a, a fresh England bowling attack in the morning. But I, as I say, I think England, England can win this game both ways now, unless you know, weather severely uh, eats into the last three days of this test match. It was sad again that the, the, the umpires took the players off early. Do you reckon it was dark? Well, it didn't seem to be that bad, to be honest. I mean, we were in July, the lights were on, and you know there was some light in the sky. It wasn't like a glowering cloud was over the ground. The problem is, is the umpires took a reading the night before, and they have to stick by mm. that, to be fair to both sides over the course of the game. So they, whether they were a bit too cautious on the first day, I'm not sure. But it was a strange one on the first day, because they looked at each other, and they, they met in the middle, and they t- seemed to take the players off, and then they took a reading. So they t- used their own eyes to see where the light was good enough on the, on the first day. And then once they've got that reading, as soon as it goes down to that reading, then they have to take the players off. I don't know. I mean, we've got to try and rewrite these these rules, haven't they? Haven't we? Because how do you explain to a to a kid who wants to watch the game that they've gone off for bad light, even though the floodlights are on? I mean, it's just impossible, isn't it? The game keeps shooting itself in the foot. We have to find a way of keeping play on until the scheduled close, unless it's absolutely tipping down. 
Well, the only way I can think at the moment is to use the pink ball, just to substitute the ball. I know that sounds very radical. I've mentioned it before, but that, that would be one way you can do it. We have pink ball day-night test matches. Uh, whether that just alters the balance of the game too much, I don't know. But that, that is the one solution I can think of at the moment. I suppose the other one would be to just say, when the lights are on, you play. It's as simple as that. You've got lots of protection. You've got helmets and pads and gloves and arm guards and whatever you like. And we just have to continue in that sort of light. I mean, it's not as if players don't get injured in, in bright sunshine. I mean, Steve Smith last year was hit by Joffrey Archer in the, in the middle of the afternoon on a bright day at Lord's. Uh, you know, I, I, I know that you know, there is that sort of duty of care to players. And sometimes it's well, the yeah, fielders Well, yeah, I was going well. to say, sometimes actually, fielders, yeah, exactly. Or the wicketkeeper, of course, as well. Well, the wicketkeeper has the benefit of the sight screens, but... The uh, the fielders, some of the slip fielders and square square of the wicket don't have that benefit. Uh, I mean, I think the pink ball is is the obvious solution, but um, you know it, it makes a lot of common sense. But uh, common sense isn't all that common, is it? Well, it would be an incredibly radical thing to do, I think, to say to the players, "I'm sorry, we've got to substitute the ball." You know, we've got to have we're going to find a ball now that's 47 overs old, a pink ball that's 47 overs old, and you bowl with that until the light improves, until uh, we start playing tomorrow. But yeah, you know, it, it is one potential solution. Uh, whether the authorities, whether the players, coaches, etc., would would put up with something as radical as that, I'm not sure. Uh, but it, you're right; it does feel incredibly frustrating that with the floodlights on, play stops. And and you know we have pink ball day night, we have white ball cricket. You know we have so much cricket under floodlights. It, it's just it just feels so wrong to see the players coming off and it also feels wrong I think as well when it doesn't f- seem that dark I know your eyes can deceive you but it doesn't seem that dark and you wonder whether yeah come on come on can we just keep going until the the close of play having said that you know we had six hours play today that is the the stipulation for a day's test cricket you're supposed to bowl nine hour, 90 overs in, in six hours so if the players had got through their overs we would have you know finished on time so there's you know there's that aspect to it as well you know if England find themselves short of time on the on the final day and think well we you know we lost time to bad light you could also say well can you bowl your overs a bit quicker Mm. well let's get to the listeners view on that so if you feel very strongly that they should carry on or that we could play with the pink ball or any other suggestions for how we can keep the game going when the light fades Send them in to simon.hughes at thecricketer.com overnight and we'll read them out on tomorrow's show, the best ones. So please get involved in that. We want to hear your views. What do you think we should do about fading light at the end of a day's test match play? simon.hughes at thecricketer.com. Get involved and we'll speak to you at this time tomorrow night. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network.